glad you are here this weekend. Um, want to uh, want to do this. Um, we mentioned in our announcements our Thanksgiving outreach that's coming up. Uh, we receive an offering for that, and the way we do it around here is to uh, talk about it, give you a chance to pray about it. We'll receive the offering next week. So how does it work? Everything that you give towards it will go towards uh, not only the meals, but we do gift cards. We do, uh, I mean, it's, it's an entire outreach that the church puts together to be able to minister to folks in our, our community. Uh, average, I think the offering is around $20,000 is what normally comes in. And that's what we end up spending on it in order to take care of all the people. So what does it look like? Um, this, we take this sanctuary, take all the chairs out, completely fill it with food and gifts and all the, uh, it's just an unbelievable process. And then we've got the big shopping carts like you see at King Supers or Safeway. And they are completely filled, top and bottom, with the meal. Uh, it runs like an assembly line. Folks will pull up in the front that have helped to volunteer. And then we actually take the meals and deliver them to people. So it's a chance for a couple of different things. Um, if you want to give towards it, uh, it would be appreciated and needed. And uh, give you the opportunity. We'll receive that next week. The other thing that we mentioned that we need is not just someone who gives money, but someone that would come and help us. We have to organize it, put it in the baskets, deliver it to folks. It's a chance to do a couple things. If your kids are like my kids, they probably are not always appreciative of everything that they have. Any, anybody else fall into that category? It's a great time to be able to, um, to plug your kids in to... Uh, to not only people that live in their community that don't have it as good as they do, but it's a chance for your kids to learn to give back too. So I would encourage you with that. And then also, if you're just looking for a chance to serve, um, it has been for me personally, I come in early uh, that morning and spend time just separating things and putting it in the basket. Can I, can I just say, um, there's not a whole lot of time that we get where we actually get to serve, serve without being noticed for it or without, without other people, you know, aware of it. And it's just a chance to come in and serve somebody who in this life could never thank you and never repay you for what you did. How many of you know, I, I think there's just something about serving like that and giving like that that the Lord finds very pleasing and that is a blessing to us. And so I just want to throw it out to you. If you'd like to be a part of our Thanksgiving uh, outreach, we'll receive the offering next week, but we also need help with folks uh, being able to help us assemble it, put it together. Uh, what would you do? Faith, F-A-I-T-H, faith at jfc.org. Contact her, or uh, afterwards, if you go out to our information tables, we'll have information out there that you can pick up too. And uh, we'll report to you uh, how much the offering was, and uh, of course, um, we'd love you to participate so you can see for yourself. All right, on your chair, you will find the notes. If you want to grab them, you can follow along with me in the message for uh, this weekend. If you learn better by listening, that's perfect too. Uh, while you're doing that, I want to welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock. Um, uh, earlier this week, we closed on our Lakewood campus. Uh, everything is now completely official. Uh, it was the smoothest closing I have ever participated in. Uh, it just went wonderfully well. Now, now really the work starts. Uh, Pastor Evan would say the work has been going on for sure, but now really the work starts because now we move past 
uh, all of the legal things and all of the, uh, all of the precedent of getting it put together. Now we have to uh, start with the building out uh, on the inside, getting it up to uh, standards of what we do at our campuses and then roll out services. And I know the question that we've been asked over and over, when are services going to happen? Uh, as soon as we get um, the building ready. So <laughs> what is that? I, we, we are aiming for as close to the first of the year as we possibly can. That's probably a little bit ambitious, but as close as we can in that time frame, um, we, want to, uh, we, we want to get them rolling. And again, I just want to say this. If, if you're looking for a place, again, to serve or to get connected, we'd love to have you be a part of our Lakewood campus. Um, here's, here's the, the deal. Uh, if, if you would try it, for 90 days or 120 days, you can always come back to this campus if it doesn't work out. I can't guarantee you that your seat will still be here when you, when you come back. But we, we would just, we would invite you. And can I, can I say this too? Uh, if you're looking for a way of like, uh, hey, I, I just don't know anybody. How, how would I get a chance to get to know somebody? Do you recognize planting a campus? Not, you will know everybody really well by the time it gets done over there. And what a chance to get plugged in. So if you're looking for a place, I would just recommend that. That'd be a great place for you to go. Okay, uh, our series is called Genesis. Last week, uh, it's a two-part series. Last week, I talked about Noah, and I talked about Noah's faithfulness. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about Noah being unfaithful. How many of you recognize there's a little bit of a mixed message in a, in a deal. And I, the only reason I'm bringing this up and going this direction, uh, I felt like because, um, because we're trying to go through the first part of Genesis and we're trying to talk, uh, Noah's story is such an interesting story that if you, don't, um, if you don't look at the whole thing in context, this is a part of his story that's a little bit difficult to understand. And I felt like when I was studying it that I didn't want to, folks, it, it's raw. I don't know any other way to put it. You, you look at Noah's life. Last week, I talked about his faithfulness. Uh, it, was, it was one of those messages where I felt like it encouraged people to, to be faithful and to hold on and to, to press through. And then here this week, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to talk about Noah stumbling. Why would you do that? Because I think the reality of the situation is that good people can stumble. Do you, you agree with that? And sometimes, uh, here's, here's the point. We, we sometimes ignore those truths and those issues so that then when it happens to one of us, no one's prepared for how to handle it. And a lot of times, I heard somebody use this cliche, Christians are the only ones who shoot their own wounded. We, we don't know how to handle uh, when, when a believer stumbles or when a, when a good person falls. Hey, would you hand me? Yeah, please. And so um, when, it, when it comes down to how do you handle uh, a, a person who falls or a person who stumbles, how, how do we handle that? How do we treat that? Well, I think that the Bible uh, has been so clear on, on including the fact that good people can stumble that if we don't study those things and look at those things, then when we end up in those difficult places, a lot of times what happens is uh, people become disenfranchised and they, they become isolated. And, and how about this? How many of you know somebody who at one time loved God, was walking with God, but they ended up in trouble and then it cost them their relationship with the church that they're in? Or their friends, they end up just, just, I mean, isolated. You recognize the devil loves the opportunity to isolate people and to cut them off. And I would say, really, in reality, if we could learn how to handle what, what to do when we stumble ourselves or when we see somebody else stumble, what, what, a, powerful, what a powerful testimony 
to the world on what it should look like for us to be able to operate with grace and mercy and truth. Do you agree with that statement right there? So we're going we're gonna to go down that road a little bit tonight. Uh, in your notes, Genesis chapter 9, and we're going to use uh, 20 through 23. And remember last week we taught about Noah and his faithfulness, how long uh, Noah walked with God and, and Noah having to, uh, having to stand by himself and, and to, to, for a hundred years to be a preacher of righteousness. Today we're going to go a little bit different. Genesis 9, 20 through 23, this is after the flood, after they're off of the ark, and it just says this, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered or naked inside of his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, that's one of Noah's sons, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it across their shoulders, then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they could not see their father's nakedness. Let me just give you a couple thoughts here using this scripture. And the first one is obvious, and I just mentioned it. Um, good men can have really bad days. You don't, if you say amen, it doesn't mean you're going to have a bad day. Okay? It's not a trap or a trick or anything like that. It's just simply the statement that good men, good women, can have really bad days. And in fact, let me just throw out a couple of thoughts here, and I don't mean them scary, but I do mean them in seriousness and something that we need to consider. One mistake can bring down years of good in a person's life. Now, now we may not like that, and that may seem very unfair, but the truth of the matter is one mistake is capable of undoing a lot of good work that a person does over a long period of time. Yeah. And one of the things we need to consider when we're living our lives and how we're living our lives is that fact that whether we consider it to be fair or not, I think what we do for ourselves is to think in terms of, look, I've got so much good going on that this little thing doesn't outweigh the good. The problem is that little thing in the court of public opinion can undo so much good. It, it, can, it can knock so many things down. And I think it's one of the things that people should consider in, in, in the act of what's going on in their life. And I put down as a comparison King David. Would you agree with me? David was a great man of God. And most of David's life, let's say that 99% of David's life was exemplary. It was, it was something that you would want to aim at. Other than Jesus, David is the character in the Bible that I would most like to have witnessed in time and in space. I, I just think that he was, he was unbelievable in his heart for God, in his exploits for God. Uh, he just, in, in my mind, he just appeals to me. He just, the things that he wrote, the Psalms, there's just so much there that, that are just so powerful. And I, I, there's a story about David, so much good, but here's, here's David stumbled. Second Samuel uh, chapter 11, 1 through 2, it says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Again, let me, let me say this to you. The very fact that the Bible includes the wrinkles, the gray hairs, and the warts, we should pay attention to that. 
It is easy to always just look at the strong and the positive and the good, and we should because that's the example. But the truth of the matter is, everybody in the Bible other than Christ was flawed. And the Bible takes the time to portray the mistakes, and I think it's in there not simply as a warning to us, but so that we could look at it and recognize, folks, it is possible to have a really good life, but in a moment of weakness or a moment of not paying attention or a moment of letting your heart stray, you can undo a lot of good in a very little amount of time. Now, what I thought was interesting about this scripture right here with David, it says at the time when kings go out to war, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Would you agree with me that, folks, when you're not where you should be, when you're not, when you're not in space and time walking with what God has planned for you or what's right, that it's real easy at that point for the enemy to find the inroad in your life. And generally what I have found, this is, uh, just to make the statement, my 26th year in full-time ministry, founding pastor of the church, so 14 years as pastor here of this church, so the statement is not just said in a light way. What I have found is that it typically is with people who get bored. People who lose their way. People who, who, whose passion begins to ebb that they find themselves suddenly not walking where they should be walking. Does that make any sense? And when that tends to happen, it seems to me that's a lot of times where the enemy sets up the trap for people. I I had, uh, uh, years and years ago, I was a youth pastor, uh, Pastor Ben and Holly, teach on this real quick, um, talking about dating talking about sex and and was asked the question I did this panel discussion one night and so I had kids asking questions just opened it up and I I didn't do it the right way instead of letting them submit the questions first I let them just ask the questions live and of course you get a mixed bag when you do that right there one of the questions though that came across to me was handling temptation on a date it was an innocent question But the person simply asks the question, on a date, how do you handle the temptation? How do you you prepare yourself on the date? My answer, just quickly, and it was just one of those ones where God, you don't handle it on the date, you handle it before you go on the date. You You don't handle it from the back seat. Let that sink in. <laughs> you, you've got to make the decision ahead of time not to get in the back seat. You don't do well trying to operate in places that you're not supposed to be at. The, the trap of the enemy, you can't think in terms of, I'm going to be strong once I'm in that position. The best way to handle temptation is not to get in the position. Make sense? So that we don't want to find ourselves trying to battle it from the back seat. You want to make up your mind not to be in that position to begin with. And, and what I would just simply say here when it comes to looking at people we respect and people who are examples to us in Scripture, when you find they stumbled, typically what you will find is that they ended up at the wrong place at the wrong time. And very good people in a moment's time can undo so much good. 
put down as a thought here, you're actually more vulnerable when you're established in life than when you're not. You're actually more, it's easier to get at you when you think everything's okay than it is before those days. I put down as a thought here, maybe it was for me more than it would be for you, but I put down, you'll be remembered for how you finish. Think about it. When it comes to a person's life, what do we remember primarily about them? The way that they finished. Now, rather than let that be a negative to you, how about this? Regardless of where you are, finish well. If you've stumbled, get back up. If you've fallen, don't stay there. You'll be remembered for how you finished. Finish well. Proverbs 24, 16 says, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. You know what I find most interesting about that scripture? It says a righteous person stumbles. It is possible for good people to make mistakes. Let me jump here. This is where I felt like the Holy Spirit would have me camp in our message and to teach from. So let me talk about, very quickly, the right and wrong response to someone else's sin. The right and wrong response to somebody else's sin. All right, based on Genesis 9, 23. I think it's a powerful, powerful illustration. Here's what happened. This, in a nutshell, Noah planted a vineyard. He made wine, drank too much of the wine. He got drunk, he passed out, and he was naked when he did it. So, I, I don't like that. I didn't write it. He's got three sons. The first son walks in on his father. And the Bible says this. He saw his nakedness. He saw his sin. He saw his failure. He saw where he stumbled. And this is what he did. He turned around. He walked out of the tent. And he told everybody about what he saw. Yes or no? That's what it says. Can I say to you, the typical response of a person in church who sees somebody else's sin is to look at the nakedness, turn around, and walk out and tell everybody what they just saw. They do it in spiritual ways, like, let me share this prayer request with you. (laughs) True? True? Or they, they really will go for the jugular by going... Man, I just really feel like the Holy Spirit showed me something about so-and-so. And disguise it as some word from the Lord to expose sin. And I have taught this for years and years and years. Let me say it one more time. It, 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 it is not a spiritual gift to sniff out somebody else's sin. Let me try over here. With, because some are like, don't say that. Because I, I feel like it's the only spiritual gift I have. And that... And you're really good at it, too. You shine. You've developed it, and you've matured in that gifting. And we're so proud and pleased. It is not a spiritual gift to be able to point out somebody else's faults. It's not. 
And what we've got in this particular situation, here, here's, here's the deal. The son, which I, the treachery of that, I think is horrible. The son, who should have protected his father, didn't do it. He sees the sin. Call it what it is. He sees it, but instead of protecting him, he walks out to tell everyone. The other two might be a better clue as to how we should handle it when we see somebody else stumble. The Bible says that they took a blanket, put it on their shoulders, walked in backwards so that they couldn't see his nakedness covered him with the blanket, and then walked out. Can I tell you what a real spiritual gift is? A real spiritual gift is the ability to help someone find dignity instead of shame when they stumble. Now, some of you are sitting here and you were raised in a way, what you're hearing me say is, we should cover up sin. I did not say that. Some of you are hearing me say, we should ignore what's wrong. It didn't say that. But I think that the Bible is full of the idea that when it comes to sin and when it comes to stumbling and when it comes to falling, would you agree with me? God's response to our sin was not to kill us, but to kill Christ so that you and I could live. Wow, two people. Let me, let me go this way. The proof that you get grace listen the proof that you get grace is your response to someone else's sin not your response to your sin. Here's what I've learned. People will give themselves a break. But they're generally unwilling to give someone else the same one. The proof that you get grace is your response to someone else's sin. Let me give you a couple of examples. Would you agree with this statement that Jesus is the express image of God on the earth? You don't agree with that, don't read Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews says he is the express image of the Father. Okay, if that statement is true, let's, let's unpack it, dial it in here. Everything that Jesus did then is a revelation of how God thinks, how God feels, and how God operates. Jesus said, I don't do anything other than what I've seen and heard my Father in heaven do. So Jesus never operated in any rogue manner, any casual manner, any inconsistent manner with who the Father is. Everything Jesus did is a revelation of how God feels, how God thinks, how God acts. All right, so let, me, let me give you a great one. John chapter 8. The Bible says a bunch of Pharisees decided to test Jesus and they catch a woman in the very act of adultery. So they bring her in, 
they throw her down in front of Christ, and then they repeat to the one who wrote the law what the law says. In the law, Moses said, we could stone such a woman, but what do you say? And then the Bible gives this. They only asked the question in order to trap Jesus, not because they were concerned about keeping the law. You remember the story? Jesus bends down and he begins to write in the dirt with his finger. Now, we don't know what he wrote, what he said. I've speculated over the years. Maybe he wrote the names of the people who were standing there. Maybe he wrote their sin in the dirt. How many of you would find that to be a little uncomfortable? It's <laughs> a little bit. So the Bible says Jesus stands up and gives them this answer. Any one of you without sin can throw the first stone. And then he spins back down, stoops, and the Bible says he begins to write in the dirt again. And the Bible says one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and they walked away. Then, when no one else was there, Jesus looks at the woman and he said, Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't see anybody. And then Jesus makes these two really powerful statements. I don't accuse you, but leave your life of sin. Okay, now I want to dial in with me. Jesus is the express image of God on the earth. Jesus said, I only do what I've seen the Father do, and I only say what I've heard the Father say. He never acted in a manner inconsistent with who God was. He never threw around some kind of sloppy love. He was never a person who just did the, the, the easy thing. What he did was to reveal how God feels about a person who stumbles. He does not approve of the sin, but the only one who was there capable to throw a rock didn't do it. So now, all right, all right, so if, back to the statement, Jesus is the express image of God on the earth. If when you look at Christ's life, if all you see is, wow, look at how great God is, you miss the point entirely. The message of Jesus is, look what a man in right relationship with his father reveals about how God feels. You, you did not hear that. Look what a man in right relationship with his father reveals to the world about how God feels. How about the prodigal? It's a powerful story. Two sons. The younger says to the father, give me what I have coming. Thank you. And I love that scripture right there. Because if one of my twins asked me, give me what I have coming, I would know exactly what to give him. So let me stop and comment on this. How many of you are grateful that we don't get what we deserve? The power of that statement, when people go, I didn't get what I deserved, you should thank God every day. You did not get what you deserved. So the younger son says to the father, give me what I have coming. I want my inheritance right now. And the father, for whatever reason, goes ahead and gives his son his inheritance early. The Bible says that the kid went to a distant land, 
and squandered his money on riotous living. He became hungry. Was out of money, no friends. The Bible says he's slopping pigs and he comes to his senses, the Bible says, and says, even the hired hands in my father's house have it better than I do. I'm going to go back, I'm going to ask my father to forgive me, and I will become a hired hand in his house. The Bible says that he set off for home. And then we pick up the narrative of the story. Every day, every day, the father was watching to see if the son was coming home. And the Bible says, when he saw his son a great way off, he ran to meet his son. Jesus is the express image of God on the earth. Everything he did is only what he saw and heard. This story is the illustration, again, of how God feels about us. Every one of us in this room are the younger son. Every one of us have demanded things our way. We have demanded things that we believe belong to us, and we have lived our own life doing our own thing at times. Yes or no? Here's the really good news about it. Any move you make towards heaven... Of all the descriptive words to describe how God feels about us, to describe that he runs. No, no, think about it. The God of the universe who flung the stars into their place, who speaks into existence light, who formed your personality, how does he really feel about you? Any move you make towards him, he's been watching and he runs to meet you. No, no, think, think, how good is it that when we stumble, God's response to us is not, I knew you'd be coming home. Now we're really going to figure things out. His response is to run. The Bible says he falls upon his son, kisses him, puts the ring on his finger, the robe on his shoulder and kills the fatted calf and he says, let's celebrate because my son has come home. I find it powerfully interesting that the way God responds to us when we stumble is probably pretty different than the way we respond when someone else stumbles. The proof that you get grace is your response to someone else's sin. Listen to me. The only way we know you really get it is if you can give it. Because you cannot give what you do not have. And ultimately, if you sit in this room and you think, Pastor, you're condoning sin or you're condoning some life, you don't hear anything that I'm saying. Real grace requires real repentance... But we don't know that you even get it until we see how you respond to somebody else's sin. I put down in your notes, a revelation of your own nakedness is necessary to be able to experience real grace. You know what I was praying? Prayed this with the staff. 
asked my wife, I said, if I stand up and just theologically teach on grace, I said it could be one of the most shallow messages in the world unless people really have an experience with it. Because the only thing that takes this from a theological truth to a reality in your life is if you can experience the grace of God. If all this is is some theological truth to you, it'll never help you unless you're experiencing the grace of God. Make the statement again. A revelation of your own need, of your own sin, of your own nakedness is necessary before you can ever really experience the grace of God. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus teaches this story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. What was Jesus teaching here? He's teaching that the wealthy man who is forgiven the bigger debt is the father. God has chosen through Christ, let you go. He's nailed all of your sin, all of your offense, all of your stumbling. It's been nailed to the cross. Ask him for forgiveness, he gives it. But then he makes this comparison. Anyone who's experienced that grace, but then cannot give that grace, doesn't get it. And I, I speak to you, you've not actually experienced the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God. The whole truth of the gospel has escaped you if you can't forgive somebody else. That's good. If you can't walk in mercy and you can't release people, then you have not experienced what God has done for you. And I wouldn't sit here and talk ugly to you or down to you. I would say you're, you're to be pitied right now. Because the whole core of the gospel is this great love and mercy that Christ offers to us. Because if you get it, we're all in the same boat. Mm. Some of you are like, yeah, but I'm in the front of the boat. Yeah, but you're in the same boat. And that boat's, listen to me. That boat of humanity is headed one direction. It's going to bust hell wide open. <laughs> and you need a savior. And God offers to you mercy and grace and life. And if you experience it, Yes or no, it should change you in the very core of who you are so that you are a reflection of that very love to the rest of the world. Does that make any sense? Hmm.
1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Paul writes these words. A man ought to examine himself before taking communion. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with that particular scripture. Paul, Paul makes this statement. He said, some of you have become sick and died because you've taken communion in a wrong way. How many of you are glad that God didn't kill you for taking it the wrong way? I mean, some of those things we read about in the Bible, I mean, Ananias and Sapphira coming in, lying to the Holy Spirit. Peter said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit and they die? I mean, would you be excited to go back to that church next weekend? (laughs) Would you be anxious to get in the door? I mean, it's just a little different deal. A seriousness about things that I'm not so sure that we get altogether. Let me just say this. So Paul writes this, these words, and he said, some of you, you're not examining yourself, or if you are, you're examining yourself in the wrong way. I grew up in a church that taught this is how to examine yourself to take communion. Sit in your chair, and as the organ plays, how many of you went to that church? <laughs> Funeral dirge, Is very, very quiet. And here was it. Okay, look inwardly right now. Examine yourself. Take care of your sin before you come to this table. I get it. I get what they're teaching. But man, is that messed up. Here's what's supposed to be taking place before you take communion. We're supposed to recognize I can't do anything to make myself worthy to go to this table to take communion. Only one thing makes me worthy to go to this table. It's the work of Christ. And so I'm supposed to actually, when I examine myself, I am supposed to recognize, man, I need help. I needed a Savior the day I was born again, and I need a Savior every day since then but what I'm supposed to do is to recognize I can't fix my sin and I can't get myself worthy only Jesus makes me worthy and so I'm supposed to examine myself and I'm supposed to come back to one thing I'm supposed to recognize that God offers me a place at his table because he's full of mercy and grace not because I can think of all the right words to say or I can repent the right way, or I can make myself feel bad enough. Anybody hear me? And we're supposed to actually examine ourselves to recognize the only thing that makes me worthy to go to this table one more time is the work of Jesus. I told this story years and years ago. When our oldest, I don't know where Ames is. Our son-in-law's sitting here. She's in the nursery right now with the baby. When she left for youth with a mission, 2001, she took off to other parts of the world. Chris and I, it was our very first one that left the house. It was a difficult time. It was a hard time. And Chris, her response to Amy leaving was to continue setting 
a place for her at our table every night. So we got five children. The other four were there. But there was always an empty space right there. And it was always set. For a good year, she would just set the place. And I... I at first just saw what she was doing and just thought, man, she's just really having a difficult time trying to adjust to Amy being gone. And then one day, the Lord showed me something. Every time Amy came home, she never called us up and said, is there room for me at the house? She never said, is it okay if I come home and I eat? Whenever she came home, she acted like she had never left. She just walked right in, right up to the table, sat right down, and enjoyed herself. And one day the Lord showed me, that's exactly how I want you to approach my table if you get grace. Because I have prepared a place for you right here. And there's always room for you, John. And if you really get it, then walk into my house without saying sorry. Walk into my house without feeling like you need to figure out if you belong. Walk in here like this belongs to you, like I did this work for you, and like you are a part of this thing. Okay, listen. I am trying to communicate something that I find so difficult to try to get the reality across to. If you really get grace, it is shown in the way you respond to somebody else's sin, but it's also shown in the way that you can appreciate what God's done for you. And if all you do is talk about all the stuff that's wrong, broken, that needs to be fixed, that's messed up, you don't get his grace. If you get his grace, you're able to enjoy the work of Jesus. Where would you then try to manifest your me? How would you want to manifest this message for people? I would want you to experience the grace of Christ so that when you leave this place, you're different than the way you walked in. So that you actually can give away what you've experienced. And I thought, what a perfect time for communion to take on a new reality for us. What if we examined ourselves for just a couple of minutes here, and instead of feeling really bad about all the stuff that's broken and is wrong and all the mistakes you made, what if you just sat here and began to really become appreciative for the fact that Jesus has taken all of that stuff away and the only thing that remains now is to celebrate what God's done in your life. Do you really get it? What if you took communion and instead of feeling like, oh God, forgive me for this, God, forgive me for that, God, this is wrong, God, I'm just so sorry. What if you just came in tonight like you belonged at the table? Like he was excited for you to be there. Like... He prepared a place in the presence of your enemies for you to walk in and enjoy it all. How good would that be? All right, so I'm going to have then our worship team just come and just prepare at all of our campuses right now. Just a couple of minutes, 
not to sit there and to think about what's wrong with me, but to think about what's right with God. And get yourself in a position to actually enjoy and experience mercy. Wouldn't it be wonderful to go home tonight knowing that God didn't see what was wrong with you, but saw everything that was right? Our youngest daughter is 21 today. 21. And we're going to go out and celebrate here. Just a little while. I'm not telling you where we're going either. <laughs> she just came back from Pennsylvania yesterday morning. And we're just going to just go enjoy you know what? We're not going to talk about any. How weird would that be? Sit down at the table and begin to tell her all the things that are wrong. Why don't you cut your hair that way? We're going to talk about all the things that are right. We're going to talk about how much we love her, and how good it is to be with her, how much we appreciate the opportunity just to eat with her and share with her do you know that's how your father wants to visit you right now he wants to commune with you alright so father I'm asking that the power of the Holy Spirit would actually be released in this room right now in a new dimension. Lord, I'm praying that a religious spirit that keeps people bound to the law to the work of Christ prior to the cross be broken right now church I want you to hear me the Bible says we're becoming as he is not as he was Jesus is not the suffering servant who went to the cross he is King of kings, Lord of lords, triumphant over the enemy. He sits at the right hand of the Father. His foot is on the neck of hell. And he is victorious. And you're becoming as he is. right now, the power of the Holy Spirit will give you a revelation of how God actually sees you. That you would understand the power of the work of Christ after after the resurrection. 
as you examine your heart right now, let the Holy Spirit speak to you about God's great purpose and plans for your life and not the lies that the enemy tells you about your life. May God just open your heart right now. Open your mind. him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you act and think right now God open your heart pray in Jesus name than just have you stand and go how about this as you feel the Holy Spirit say okay to you why don't you go take communion as you feel the Lord just touch your heart why don't you move towards it tell him you accept the work that he's done direction in your life.